Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. And this is the episode in between. So we know that this is not our normal day to release an episode, but this is not a normal episode. We have a surprise. If y'all have not seen the documentary, The House in Between, you are missing out. Stop what you're doing. Well, don't stop. Let's still listen to this episode. But then go watch this documentary. It is amazing. It's number one on iTunes. It's been there for several weeks. So obviously by the title, you know, it centers on a house and it belongs to a woman named Alice. And something that is dear to us, it is located in Mississippi, not too far away from us. And what I like about this documentary too, because y'all look, y'all know that I am a skeptic when it comes to kind of supernatural type thingies. And I really like that this documentary looks at both sides, the supernatural, paranormal, and the more logical, you know, what could these things be? And this documentary has it all. And we are lucky enough to have one of the investigators from the documentary let us interview him. Right. And I mean, look, Barbara Walters could never. We are hard-hitting journalists. We (laughs) ask all of the probing, important questions, such as, were there spiders? (laughs) But really and truly, Brad Cooney is one of the investigators that was on this amazing documentary, and he was so kind to let us interview him and tell us a little bit about, you know, his experience as a paranormal investigator and some of the things that he's come in contact with and his time working with the house and Alice, and it was just an amazing interview. So thank you so much, Brad, for being a part of this. And y'all just sit back and listen to Brad take it away. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell everyone who you are, some of your background, because I know you're not just a paranormal investigator. You also have a podcast. So like, tell us all of your endeavors. Basically, I'm a, I'm a veteran of the armed forces and I was in the serve the country from 84 to 88 in the Navy. And uh, once I got out of the Navy, originally, actually, I'm originally from upstate New York. That's where I went to high school and everything and have family on my mother's side in Mississippi. So that's how I ended up here. But after I got out of the service, I stayed in the South and I lived out in California for a, a quick minute and then in Texas for like 10 years. And then I came here. So basically, uh, yeah, I have a podcast show and I, um, I also founded a boxing mixed martial arts website back in the day that did really well. I had 12 writers that wrote for us and kind of how I segued into the podcast world was, was from the website world. Well, I, we used to cover the big fights, mixed martial arts and boxing and I used to get press credentials and throughout the years of doing that I rubbed elbows with a lot of people that were either celebrities or or at professional athletes um, because when I got press credentials you know the actors and celebrities they would get ringside seats and I'd be like right down there with them so it worked out great so once we uh we, we ended up closing down the boxing website and um but I wanted to I wanted to still do like interviews and things, so I got into podcasts and I was able to use 
a lot of my connections from the boxing mixed martial art days to have pretty big name guests right away. So it was a pretty easy transition to do that. And um, of course, I wrote a book on boxing. Well, actually, two. I wrote a, a smaller sequel to the first book. So after that, once the well, basically real quick, so the so we made pretty good money with the with the acountnews.com boxing website because we had a lot of the professional fight promoters that would pay us to advertise their promotions and advertise their upcoming fight cards. So that was real nice while it lasted. But what happened was social media happened. So yeah. rather than pay us, they were like, well, why should we pay these websites to advertise that we can just amass our own following? So that pretty much did us in as far as having the revenue to keep the website going. So I shut it down, started doing my podcast. And then about four years ago, a little bit more, I was watching TV one day and saw a local segment on TV about the haunted location in Mississippi. And um, I've always been into UFOs and Bigfoot and like just weird stuff like that because I'm kind of a nerd that way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, for sure. And um, so I, I watched this segment. It was done by Walt Grayson, who actually is also in the film. And I was so I was like, wow, so where's this house? And I found that I was like right in Florence, Mississippi, you know, it's like right there close. So I reached out to Erin, who was in that segment that I saw on the news. And then she contacted Alice and, and I, I met Alice, who's the homeowner, and went down there and met her. And like all kinds of crazy stuff happened in the house like day one, like, like literally like within 10 minutes of me, being, of me being in the home, stuff started happening. And I was like, what the heck's going on here? Wow. And I was hooked ever since. And I, be, and I started researching and learning how to use different equipment and I got really like really hooked on it and I've been investigating the house now for over four years so that's wow. pretty much where we are yeah I just kind of whipped like 15 years 20 years and like what five five minutes maybe <laughs> yeah, there you go. life in a nutshell okay look I have this is the this is the most important question about the house okay. is there air conditioning in it absolutely 100% I would die if there wasn't yeah, no, the house is fully furnished. I mean, it's fully furnished. It's powered. Yeah. Of course, Alice owns it, and she's there, you know, a lot during the daytimes. And okay, okay, um, yeah. So she lives. Yeah, her not, I mean, she lives not family. there. She doesn't sleep in the house anymore. Since so she has some really, if you saw the film that you know yes. was mentioned in this film, she saw she had some prolific experiences in there early on, and um, and that was it. Once so once that happened, she she just couldn't stay there anymore, and and that's when she reached out. And to try to find some help, and that's how John Bullard got involved. He was the investigator that was there, you know, years before I even got there. Right, and, right. Uh, and that's that was the launch. That was pretty much the launch of that whole house, you know, the paranormal investigating in, in that house. Well, you said that you've always been interested in UFOs, cryptids, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But like, did you have any experiences before you heard about this haunted house in Florence that got you into? the supernatural oh yeah that's a great question and the answer is yes i actually had two separate ufo experiences what um, really yeah the the first one was when i was in the navy and i was on my ship and we were out in the middle of the north atlantic and there was literally no land like for thousands of miles you know a thousand miles on either side of us and we were in the north atlantic and i was an operations specialist in the navy so that's basically what you see on TV, like ships, you see the guys on the radar inside the radar rooms. Yeah. Um, I, was a, I was a radar operator in what they call CIC, which is which means Combat Information Center. And when you're out to sea, 
my position, we would stand what they call port and starboard watch sections, which means we stand watch for six hours, which means you're operating the radar or whatever for six hours, and then you're off for six hours. So you can either sleep, grab something to eat, go up top side and get some fresh air. Well, I just got off of a, a 6 to 12, 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. or a.m. I mean, so it was a little bit after midnight, and I used to like to go up top side out to sea because it's really nice. You know, you get the sea air and the breeze. Yeah. And so out to sea, we also have what they call lookouts. So there's a forward lookout and an aft lookout. And the, the forward lookout is just a guy that has some headphones on, and he's got binoculars, and he's just basically looking to see if there's anything out there on the, on the horizon that he needs to report. Um, yeah, the he's the one who says, iceberg, iceberg right ahead. ahead. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's that guy. He needs a good, a good, good, good lookout. So I was just up there shooting the breeze with, with him, and he was a, he was an African-American kid, real good guy. His name was Watkins. I still remember his name. He's from Alabama. And we were just up there talking, you know, talking about girls in high school and just kind of like telling stories, <laughs> and, you know. And all of a sudden, he, he, he broke his eye contact off of me and his face expression changed. And he started looking over my left shoulder. So I kind of spun around to see what he was looking at. And there was this, there was just like this round ball, maybe as big around as, as relative size, maybe as big around as a marble. Wow. And it was skimming, it was skimming across the horizon, like way off, way out off the horizon. And it was, it was moving from, from left to right. And the first thing that popped in my head was, you know, wow, like that can't be a speedboat because we're, we're, you know, there's no way we're out in the middle of the ocean. Right. You know, we're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, so it definitely was not going to be a speedboat. So. You know those big binoculars that are on a ship? They're called the big eyes, where they where you, you grab the handles with your right and left hand, you, you look inside it, and you kind of you can move it around. Yeah. Well, they're called big eyes. Well, I went over there and to grab, I grabbed those, and I went to try to, to, to see a closer look of it. But the sea state was a little bit too rough, so I was, you know the ship was kind of like pitching and rolling, so I couldn't get a good. It was very tough for me to get a good lock on whatever that was. You know what I mean? Because the ship's moving out to sea. So that didn't work. So I stopped that and I started looking at it again with my with my naked eye. And then this thing just stops. The ball of light just stops and then it shoots straight up vertically, like really fast, really fast. So it's way up high in the sky. And so me and Watkins, we're just looking at this thing. And then it starts like hovering to the left and to the right, moving to the left, back to the right, to the left, back to the right for maybe five or 10 minutes. So we yelled down down to the bridge and even the officer of the deck who was on the bridge at the time, he, he looked at it, he saw it. And then it was there for maybe, maybe another five minutes and then it just shot like lightning straight up, like disappeared. Wow. So that's something I can't explain and nothing that, that I know of um, moves that fast. I mean, I, I had a secret clearance at the time when I was in the, in, the, in the military and I was trained to identify all kinds of different, you know, low flyers and high flyers and, I see nothing like nothing like that in my lifetime that wow. could, could do something like that. And the other UFO encounter I actually had was in 2013 here in Mississippi, and it was a July night. And this is you, you guys are gonna love this because you guys like to laugh. Okay, so this is funny. <laughs> so, so, so I'm in my I'm in my living room. I'm on my laptop, and I'm chatting with a good friend of mine who lives in the Philippines, and. We're just chatting, and also, this is like 10 p.m. It's like 10 o'clock at night, so it's pitch black, summer night, and I hear my neighbor fire up his, his lawnmower, his tractor, his, his, his riding mower, and he's like cutting his grass at like 10 p.m. in the dark, and I'm like, what in the world is this right? guy doing? So I get up, 
and I grab my cell phone and I walk outside because I'm, I'm gonna try to YouTube this. I'm like, because this guy is on his <laughs> seriously, he's on his tractor and he's got a, a, a helmet on with a, with a miner's light. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> And he's cutting his grass in the dark. And I'm like, what the freak is this guy doing? So I'm like, I, I, I swear, I got, I got my phone. I'm like, I'm going to try to video this. because I, I was thinking YouTube all day. So I'm like, like kind of creeping behind my car. I don't want him to see me like filming him. <laughs> and all of a sudden, though, I see something, uh, this orange-looking ball of light. And it was like skimming across the sky. It, 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 it wasn't clear from the tree line yet. So I was seeing it like in between branches and things. Right. So... I was like, well, that's more, that's actually more interesting than this guy cutting his grass at night. So I start looking at it and then it, it gets out into the clearing over my house. And it was really weird. It was like this orange ball of light. It had no running lights, no port and starboard lights, nothing, no, no blinking lights. It was just an orange glowing ball. And it had this strange um, motion to it. Almost like, remember those games when we were kids, the air hockey game? Yeah, air hockey where, where the air blows up and, and it makes a little plastic puck float. Yeah, oh, yeah, one bit. of my favorites. Yeah, so you know how that kind of had an airy motion to it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like how this thing was moving. It was like it didn't have like a real propulsion kind of look, a kind of uh, movement to it. It was kind of like it was floating through the air, but it had purpose. So it was moving pretty quick. Right. I'm like what the freak is that? So I was watching it. So I watched it until it got behind trees where I couldn't watch it anymore. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. So then a second one was right behind it. A second one shows up. So now I got my phone and I actually filmed it. I got video of it. <gasps> and I made one mistake, though, when I was filming it. I, was, I trained on it. In other words, I had, I had my phone holding it up in the sky, and I was moving my phone with it, with its motion. And I wish I wouldn't have done that because if I would have kept stationary for a little bit i would have got a, a better judge of how fast it was going so it's kind of tough yeah. to see it when you look at the video so anyway so i followed that one as long as i could and then that disappeared and then like as soon as that one disappeared maybe five seconds later this this white streak of white shot behind it and like like chasing it and it was almost like a flashlight if you put a flashlight and you flash it to the wall and you kind of like take your hand and it's kind of like whip your hand to the left real quick. Yeah. It just, went, it just like disappeared, like this white streak of light. So I actually, I actually reported it to MUFON, which is a UFO reporting agency where you people, you know, citizens can report UFOs. And I reported it and they actually assigned a caseworker to it. And that caseworker oh, wow. actually researched and actually talked to the Jackson airport to get like flight information. And, and they, they, they contacted the, the National Weather Service and he did, he, they did they did a pretty thorough investigation and he got back to me so we can't debunk that he said that's something that's very very interesting to us so they got it on file so those are my two UFO that's yep. crazy also yeah. that just reminds me like of kids chasing each other and the mom's like cut it out like the white lights like yeah. cut it out the mom's yeah. up, you know and then exactly. it's gone yep exactly wow well is that video up on YouTube yeah, actually, I think it is. I think it's on my YouTube page. I can get I can get you the link to it. Okay, um, perfect. Yep, it's on there. It's just it's, it's you know it's just like a little ball of light in the sky. But yeah, I think it's up there. And it's, I think you might be able to hear the guy's mower in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I mean, who who mows that late? 
I get mad when people uh, mow yeah, early because I'm like, you're messing with this my guy. Sleep. This guy, he, my neighbor, he's like, at the time, he was in his 70s. I think he's passed away now because he, um, about four years ago, he, he just wasn't there anymore. And then I saw some other vehicles moving stuff out of oh. his house. So then I talked to somebody, the neighbor, and they said, yeah, we think he's in a nursing home. And, and then the for sale sign went up. So I think he might have passed away. He was a nice guy. He was a little bit, he was just a little bit weird. You know, that yeah. maybe he just didn't want skin cancer. And so mm-hmm. he just really liked the night air. Mm-hmm. I feel like you could do that at dusk, but cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just kind of getting back to how you said right when you got into the house, there yeah. was stuff going on. Was there one spot in particular that had more activity than anywhere else in the house? You know, there there is one room that has a unique feel to it. And one of the things we do a lot when we have, we used to do a lot of tours and we used to have, you know, people come in and we would do little presentations and tour them around the house and do like little mini investigations for people. And one of the things we used to do was we would pick one volunteer out of the group and we would have them walk into each room in the house and then come back and in, in, back into where the group was. And then we would ask that person, which room was it that felt different to you? And eight times out of 10, everybody would say the same room. Wow. And what we used to do, what, what we used to do is like right when we would ask for the volunteer, either me or John would write down on a piece of paper in front of everybody, like which room we think it's going to be. So then like after the person was finished, we would show the group the piece of paper that we wrote down and everybody would be kind of freaking out. But yeah, at least 80% of the time, it would be one particular room. Now that's not saying it's the most active room because really there's activity in like every room in the house at different times. But that room has a unique feel to it. Like every time I walk in there, there's a certain, you know, the temperature's a little bit cooler in there. You ever, yeah. been, in a soundproof, you ever been in a soundproof room? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Rooms are like, they're like recording artists and things like that. But there's a real, like a density feel, almost like a more dense feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like a little more pressure feeling. It's very, very dense and, and so quiet. You can hear like your heartbeat in your ears almost. You know what I mean? It's like one of them situations. It's a different yeah. feeling there. But yeah, but there's been activity. I've, I've documented activity in every room in that house over the years at some point. Wow. Well, one thing when we were watching the documentary, it focused on one part in particular, and it was the stairs. And mm-hmm. we just had a question because, like, every time we saw this, because we are clumsy as fuck. But did y'all <laughs> ever, like, trip over any of the trigger <laughs> objects? <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> no, I have not. I have not. But it's funny because some, sometimes people will, like, knock them off and, and take them <laughs> off the rock. And then it's fine, though, because, you know, it's not really a normal thing to for baseballs and dolls and all kinds of things being yeah perfectly planted all over the room. But yeah, we're, we're pretty, since we've, you know, the group of us that's been in that house investigating, like I can be blindfolded and just walk that house probably like at five <laughs> miles an hour and not like run into nothing. Just, yeah. yeah you just get used to it. When some of the people that you had come in to kind of debunk and try to see if there were any other logical explanations and it Mm -hmm. would be like an electrician or something i was like i wonder what they think coming into this house and it's just like all of these objects randomly on the stairs that they have to go up (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean during the film process 
it's pretty hard to like for them not to see that stuff. So, but you know, we had a lot of trouble with getting certain experts to come in, like like geologists. We wanted to get a geologist, a geologist to come in and talk about the limestone theory. But um, and that was Steve, and of course Steve Gonzalez from Ghost Nation. He used to be Ghost Hunters, yeah, our director, and Kendall Welton, our other director for the film. I don't know if you guys know, but Kendall was the cinematographer for Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi for, for every season with Ghost Hunters. Um, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah that's um, Steve knew him real well because of that. I mean, he's followed Steve around in all the locations you saw on Ghost Hunters. So you're looking through Kendall's eyes. Kendall's wow, guy. that's yeah. awesome. Yep. So those two directed the film, and, and they really tried hard to get a geologist to, 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 to be part, you know, to be part of the film. And none of them, none of them would do it once they found out, like, why. They just didn't want to associate themselves with paranormal. They, 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 yeah. they just wouldn't want to do it. So that was, that was interesting. We just yeah. moved forward. Well, since you brought up Steve, how was it meeting him for the first time? Yeah, it was great. Steve, you know, Steve's a really good guy. He's, um, he's I really, and I'm not, and I'm not just saying this, he's literally probably the smartest person I've ever, I've ever met to actually know and to work with he's, he's extremely i would i wouldn't be a bit surprised if he was genius iq like for real well, he's very very intelligent yeah. extremely intelligent he's really nice kind guy he's, he's very easy to work with throughout the filming really nice guy you know he doesn't have that you know hey i'm a famous guy he doesn't he doesn't have that yeah uh, he really wanted to get answers for alice which is really the important thing here to keep keep in mind the reason we're doing this is to try to help Alice. I mean, she's the one that built her dream home. She built her dream home and yeah. can't stay in it because she's afraid. So that was very important when, when we did this film to Steve and to all of us was to try to help her get answers. And so Steve, you know, he was all business when he, when he, when he came down. He's been here, you know, more than once. Uh, but great to work with. Really, really happy to, to, uh, to know him. That's really awesome. It's crazy the bonds that you form, like you said, that you would never in a million years think that you would have with people. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, okay, so back to Alice a little bit. So she's a psychiatric nurse. Yeah, retired. Yep. What did she have any like extra insights to stuff? Like, did she, I mean, did that come into play at all with her being, you know, thinking about maybe why things happen a certain way just because it's, it's a totally different insight into life i feel like when you're a psychiatric nurse i do think it's possible that she could trigger activity that's just my my opinion and it's a theory she's very tuned into people like you're saying she's a psychiatric nurse so she's she's very versed in reading people and mm -hmm. and, and vibes and things like that so um it, it could be that she could trigger activity in there i mean we've had some pretty pretty crazy stuff happen when she was in there yeah it's kind of a good question i have to really kind of think on that a little bit to see if it's something that's triggering things. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. Possible. Certainly is. Yeah, because, I mean, she has to have seen a lot of traumatic stuff and mm -hmm. have that energy, like, put on her, you yeah. know? Well, and I think that yeah. some people just have that, not even that it factor, but kind of that it factor that draws people to want to tell them their story and I feel mm -hmm. like as a psychiatric nurse, she would have that. And so I just wonder if it, again, kind of brought it out of the investigators, the house, the just the experience overall. 
Well, really, I mean, honestly, separating her her career field, Alice is is just an amazing, amazing human being. So people gravitate to her anyway, no matter what she mm-hmm. did for a living. She she's one of the most selfless, kindest, thoughtful people I've ever known. Seriously, I'm not just saying that. I mean, she literally is. She's number one person in my life as far as just admiring. I mean, she, I'm, I'm 54 years old and she's, she's teaching me how to, you know, how to handle stressful people. And, and, you know, I, she's just an amazing, amazing, amazing person. Yeah. Um, so it was just really easy for us as a team to, I mean, we call her the queen bee as her nickname or inside oh. story of the queen bee. And everyone just loves her. I mean, so it's easy to want to, help somebody who you just love. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely. Yeah. That really came across in the documentary, like her and her truthfulness and mm-hmm. everyone's just emotional bond really came across. I was just going to say, I feel like that really came across with Steve, who, like you said, is this celebrity coming in to do this investigation in this house. And for him to get so close and feel such, Empathy yeah. and passion towards Alice really does show who she is. Absolutely. And Kendall's the same way. I mean, a shout out to the to the team as a whole that, that's behind the scenes. Of course, Kendall's you you y'all saw the film, so Yeah. Um, but Kendall Kendall's brilliance. I mean his his and plus his wife Vera. Vera is, was pretty was one of the producers and she really was instrumental in getting this film to, to where it's, to where it is. And then Corey Frost, our editor, um, a lot of people don't know, he's an Emmy Award nominee. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Corey, Corey Frost is an amazing editor. He, he was nominated for an Emmy Award for a sports documentary that he did. And he currently um, worked on the new Shaquille O'Neal reality show that's out. Which I freaking love. Yeah, yeah, so that's Corey Frost. He, he did a lot of the editing for that. What? Um, so we have a great team. Not just Steve. I mean, of course, Steve is awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still like, it's still surreal to me that I actually in a film with him and, and, and he was a part of this project. But Kendall Welton, his wife, Vera, Corey Frost, the whole team. I mean, just, just amazing talent. And it comes through. It really does. Whenever I was watching the film, I kept going, these poor people who have to hold these like boom mics and the cameras <laughs> and all, it just looks so freaking heavy. I'm like, they must have like a back and abs of steel to be able to hold these yeah. things for so yeah, long. True. Yeah. I was amazed at what, what Kendall was doing with that big old camera and he was you know, running backwards and not, right. not, yes. like, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to keep in mind. I mean, he's had years, very, a lot of years of experience doing that. And then, and, Think about this. Think about a cameraman like Kendall was with Ghost Hunters. Um, they would they would investigate like prisons and and, and and psychiatric hospitals, and there was no power. I mean, it was pitch black. Yeah. In those places, they had like IR light, a little bit of light, but and you know these people would the sound guys and the camera guys are right there with the investigators running around backwards. And I I, I heard an interview Kendall did not too long ago where somebody asked about that and he said oh yeah you know, there's there's been injuries I mean, we, we've fallen and there has been some injuries from it so yeah, yeah thankfully I mean, none on our none on our set hell i can't even walk forwards with the lights on slow yeah and they're going backwards know. you know i mean i'll spray my ankle on a pebble literally it's happened <laughs> it yeah. has i mean i'll i'll not 
fall once a week, but I'll almost fall always once a week. <laughs> That's the truth. All the time. Yeah. Look, I yeah. am really good at falling because I've done it so many times. Yep, I'm. I'm. That's one of my superpowers, actually. <laughs> Weak ankles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. my, 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 my other superpower is hitting send before I edit. <laughs> I am the absolute best at that. I, I challenge anybody to be better at that. Um, I see you, and I raise you for getting to put the actual attachment on the email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got a funny. You guys want a, a, real, a real quick funny story? Oh yeah, hit us for with sure. it. So like, so some years back, this is when I was back in the boxing mixed martial arts world. My phone has like a ton of really famous people. I mean, like Tito Ortiz, Roy Jones Jr., Oscar De La Hoya, yeah, Mike Tyson. These are all people's like personal phone like numbers are in my in my phone, right? Yeah. So I got a new phone. This is I'm going back some years. I got a new phone, and I wasn't really sure how to drive it yet because it was a brand new phone. And so this girl I was seeing at the time, I used to call her Pumpkin. That was my little, little nickname for her. I used to call her Pumpkin. That's cute. So me being the absolute fool that I can be sometimes. I texted her. I said, hey, Pumpkin, how you doing? I didn't realize I, I group text everybody in my phone. <laughs> so I was having like like the former UFC light heavyweight champion, Tito Ortiz, like, yo, yo, dude, we don't roll like that. I mean, I, <laughs> so I had to send out another group text like it with a purple face. Say, my bad, y'all. That was to, like, to my girl. It started, it, it, it like literally took a week for everybody to stop messing, like like fucking with me for that. Oh so, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> oh my god, that is great. Oh yep. gosh, you fit in. Trust me, then. Yes. Did the activity in the house like what are what are some things it did to y'all's technology, like to the cameras or microphones or anything like that? Oh, I can talk about that. So. This is previous to any film stuff. This is going back years before a documentary even came up. Constant. A lot of times we have battery drains. I mean, I put brand new lithium batteries and digital cameras in there and actually watch the little power, you know, little, the little power graph. Yeah. Shows you how much power is left, like just suck dry and just, and then start flashing low battery. Um, had our cell phones freeze up all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, we, all kinds of equipment failure. Camcorders well, wouldn't shut off. We have camcorders shut on and off all the time by themselves. And y'all have that constant loop of footage going on in the house, right? Yeah, the house is, is – uh, is, every room in the house has a camera, except for the bathrooms, of course. We're not going to do that. We're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> then you'd be on the, the whole other large. side of this podcast, <laughs> the true crime side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would not be good. But, yeah, all the rooms are wired with cameras, and, and the reason for that was – some years back, you know, Alice would go in there. Sometimes there's a couple of days, two or three days, and when there's nobody in there or whatever, and Cam, or I'm sorry, Alice would go in there, and she would check her mail and go in there and, and um, spend, you know, some of the day in the house. But when she would get in there, she would find things like weird things that were supposed to be up on the on the mantle or something in the middle of the floor. Yeah. Um, wow. The strange, the things out of place. So one day, me and Alice got talking, and I was like, "Look, you know, why don't John Buller was involved." Well, like, why don't we just get a you know a house surveillance system? We'll just run cameras and maybe we can catch some of this stuff on video. And that was probably one of the best investments we ever made because we captured a lot of evidence when nobody's in there, things moving yeah. and falling off things, and that's what's really cool. 
And what, what, what I'll do though is, is like every night before I go to bed, I'll, I'll pull up cause I can monitor the house with my phone. I can, you have an app that I can, I can, like I can like yeah. right now, I can pull up live shots of the house. So every night before I go to bed, I'll screenshot every room. I'll pull up every room and I'll screenshot it. And then the next morning when I wake up, I'll pull up a live shot and then I'll compare the screenshot from the previous night to the live shot that day. Yeah. And see if anything's moved. See if anything's moved from, from the point where I took the screenshot. And if something moves, I'm like, uh oh, I got you. And then I'll just review video and wait till I capture it. Move. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Yeah. I was like, huh. Because I was wondering that. I was like, how do y'all comb through that many hours of footage for yeah. that many rooms? Yeah, that, that, that's a big reason how, how I just explained. That's awesome. Y'all did such a good job of like bringing in experts that were not paranormal investigators to investigate mm -hmm. the house, to look for logical answers. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been something either in that house or just in your paranormal experiences that like, you're like, well, that is the most random explanation for whatever happened. Right. Something that happened and it wasn't paranormal. Was right. And you're like, what the hell? Who would have ever thought that, I don't know, energy coming from the ground could do that, you know? Well, we've had things happen that, that um, we figured out was not paranormal. I mean, one, actually, this is funny. One of the, I get the, one of the questions I get asked a lot is like, do you ever get scared in there? Has anything ever really scared you? And of course it can be creepy at times because you're in a house where things happen that don't happen in my house. And, but one night me and Eileen were in there and we were investigating and there was quite a bit of activity that night. So we were, we were both a little jumpy because your adrenaline really gets pumping when things start happening. And so we were both a little bit on edge. So we're standing in the middle of the, the living room and the night before Alice had a little get together over there. So she had some friends over. Well, there was this big ice cooler that was sitting on the floor. So, Keep in mind, we're in, in this dark in there, and a lot of stuff, a lot of weird stuff's happening. So we're again, we're on edge, and all of a sudden, like this huge crash sounds, and I mean, Eileen like literally jumps into my arms. Like I'm going <laughs> like, to save her from the ghost. I mean, how am I going to oh, help you? On, she's like, she's jumping in my arms, and I'm like heading towards the door. I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a very good hero right now, but I'm like trying to get the hell out of here too. <laughs> so. What was funny was we, we both stopped and we're like looking at each other. Our eyes are as big as deers and headlights. And so all of a sudden we're like, what the hell was that sound? And basically what it was, was the cooler. Inside mm -hmm. the cooler, the ice, the ice melted and this whole wall of ice like fell over. <laughs> and it, but, it sounded, it, but it sounded like a freaking bomb went off. It was so loud. <laughs> And then when you and, and when you add the fact that we're already really jumpy from right. like other stuff that happened, that we that was literally the most startled I've ever been. It wasn't even a ghost; it was a freaking ice ice cube. That's great. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that was crazy. Well, something that I'm scared of because I do want to do investigations and stuff, but I'm really scared how you're talking about like that normally they go to places that are pitch black and abandoned and everything. So critters can usually inhabit those places. Have you ever had oh, yeah. like, a run in where you're like, Oh my God, I just felt something. I think it's a ghost and it's something like a spider or something like, yeah. 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 Like, like cobwebs. I mean, cobwebs are always a, a real interesting thing because you're like, again, like I've been in locations where 
you know, you're already, you're, 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 your head's already on a swivel. You're looking around and you're just waiting for something to happen. So when you walk into a freaking cobweb, it can mess with you because, you know, it's, it's creepy. It's a creepy yeah. feeling. I'll tell you, you mentioned spiders. The Steve from Ghost Hunters, he has a real phobia, a true, real phobia of spiders. He, he, really? he'll, yeah, I mean, it's well documented on the show. If you watch yeah. Ghost Hunters, some of his episodes, he, he really freaks out. It really freaks him out. So Steve did see a spider in our location once, and he, just like the TV show, he freaked out. And it's not something we laugh at him about because it's a real genuine phobia. He's just like, it's like me, I don't like heights. I mean, I, I don't like to get up high. Some people are like squirrel monkeys. They can run across scaffolding. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, not, not me. You get me on a little stepladder, and I'm like, a, I'm panicking. I'm like a sweat coming down my back. And, because you know, you're like, like me, you fall. So it's like a little right. bit of height. I, I respect gravity. I mean, exactly, because <laughs> it's a bitch. Yeah, you know, and, and so like when someone, if they make fun of me, for like freezing up and having sweat coming down my head because I'm like three feet off the ground. It's not funny because to me it's real. I don't like heights right. at all, you know. And Steve genuinely has a real phobia of spiders, so he doesn't like spiders at all. I don't laugh at him for that at all because I can relate. I just the thought though of like going in, like you said, some of those like old abandoned places and just like the rats and all those things that just could be running around. Oh. I guess let me say, what are some other places you've investigated and have you encountered things like that? I've investigated quite a few. I've investigated McRaven House in, in Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Built in the 1700s is a great location. I've investigated a decent home down in oh. Jones County. Yes, yeah. that's so close place. to us and we want to go so bad. It's a really great location. I'm not sure if you know the history of it. There's a, there's a film out that Matt, Matthew McConaughey did mm-hmm. yeah. called, called Free State of Jones. Well, Newt Knight, who the film centers around, is a real person, and he's from Jones County. And back during the Civil War, he was a slave sympathizer. He he was he was really partial to the Union, and the Confederates wanted to hang him because um, he in fact he fell in love with a slave and had children with a slave. So when word got back to the Confederates that Newt Knight was in Jones County, they sent someone there to to kill him, and Newt Knight got word that that was happening. He actually ended up shooting and killing the Confederate officer that tried to shoot him. And he did that inside the decent home. There's still actually, you can still see blood underneath the house, underneath the floor, which seeped through when you use one wow. of those. Wow. One of those blue lights, what do they use? Luminol. But um, yeah, exactly. So the decent home is a really cool place that I've investigated. I've investigated in, in Louisiana a couple spots, and I've been to the Myrtles Plantation. That's what I was just about to ask. Yep. See, I've been in a lot of different locations investigating, but Mississippi House, I know obviously it can sound like I'm biased because I'm involved with it so deeply, but it's definitely the most consistent as far as activity that I've ever seen. Yeah. Do you have a dream place to investigate? A few. I want to go to um, Waverly Hills. Me oh, too. Us too. Me too. That is my yeah. top one. We were going also, to go last year to the Waverly oh, Hills wow. because yeah. we were we went to a true crime podcast festival and it was kind of on the way and we were going to go, but I was on a scooter with um a hurt ankle and so we couldn't go because I couldn't uh, do all yeah. the stairs. So it's like, oh, we were so close to going and then I fucked it up. 
I like to go to um the Stanley Hotel is another one I'd love to go to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you did that. And the other one, and no. the other one is the Saint the, the Saint Augustine the the, the, uh, the of the uh, the lighthouse. Yeah, because that place every everybody I've ever talked to that's been in there gets like crazy activity. Like everybody. So those three are my probably my three top three on my on my list. Well, if you want two gals that uh, one freezes up when she's scared and one screams like a scary movie, hit us up. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That'll work. Do you have a, a favorite piece of equipment to use, like a REM pod, EMF reader, that kind of thing? Is there one piece that you're just like, this is my, you know, foolproof, this is going to show if there's a ghost here? Honestly, for me, I like a digital recorder because I love the when I get EVPs. And I'm not talking about spirit box EVPs. I'm not real big on spirit box. I was just um, going to ask you about that. Yeah, Spirit Box, you know, it's just, just a radio receiver that scans frequencies. And I just don't have a lot of stock in those because it's like, sure, you can get words because it's actually a radio. You know, you're, you're listening to radio stations, right? Like actual right. DJs. And so when, it, when it's scanning frequencies and it spits little words, you know, that catches in the process of that. And then maybe you might get a word that actually matches what you're asking to when you're doing the EVP session. So like it, maybe it is within context, but I'm not sold because it's, you know, that could happen. You could, when you have, when you're scanning all those frequencies and, but on the flip side, when you're using a regular digital recorder, you're doing EVP sessions and you're asking questions and then you play it back and you get like a foreign voice. It's definitely not yours. Right. And there's nobody else in the house and it's actually a direct response. Now, now you got my attention because like, right. well, who the freak, who the freak was it? I mean, it wasn't me, and it wasn't Eileen because it was a male voice or the other <laughs> way around. It was a female yeah. voice, you know. So I love I love raw data. I like digital recorders. I do like That's thermal cool. cans. I have a FLIR thermal can that I like to use to, to pick up different heat signatures um, and cooling signatures. So I like stuff that has like actual raw data, like like K two meters. In my opinion, I don't I don't have any faith in them whatsoever because cell phones can trigger them. All kinds of different things can trigger a K2 meter to go off. Any kind of electronic interaction, wiring in houses can make them go off. So I'm not real big on those. I used to be, I used to have, some, I used to like REM pods, but even REM pods, I'm starting to lose my luster for those. For the same reason as the K2, they are, they're not as easily manipulated as a K2 meter is, but they can be, you know, natural things can trigger them. Is there a question that you've been asked, like, cause I know you're doing a lot of interviews and stuff. Is there a question mm -hmm. that you have been asked that you're like, this is my favorite question. And you know, here's my answer. Um, you know what? There's not really one that's like sticking out. I do like questions that, that, um, you know, are relevant to, paranormal you know, experiences and i think y'all stuff on the ufo stuff is pretty cool um i like to talk about that too yeah um but i haven't had like one in particular question of it wow that's like my favorite ever there's been some really good ones some of them are redundant but that's not no fault of anybody else because you know they're just asking questions that their listeners want to hear yeah um, so i get that but yeah there hasn't there's not one that's really grabbing me like wow that was the best question i ever had there's been a lot of really good ones though well, what's the most surprising thing about a media circuit? Like, have you ever been on this side of it? Usually you're the interviewer. 
is there anything that you didn't expect from being the person interviewed? I haven't had a problem because you know when you're when you're when you're in a location for as many years as I've been in there, you know, over four years now, I'm very well versed on anything they can throw at me as far as that goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, so I haven't been tripped. Like when I say tripped up, I don't mean in any other context other than like, hmm, I got to think about that as far as the house goes. Yeah. It's been there so long. It's, it's you know, easy. And I've, I've also been interviewed for, for, you know, when I was doing in the boxing world, I, I promoted a fight in Jackson and at the Coliseum. So I did a lot of TV for that. And so I've been interviewed before. So it's not really that new. Oh, okay. Um, so, so yeah, not 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 really. Is there anything about the house or the film that you want people to take away? Well, one of the things that I want people to take away, a lot of people make the leap to demon activity when they hear of a house that's allegedly haunted. People, some people will make a leap to, oh my God, there's demons in there, and it's very important to me to, to emphasize and, and, and with all clarity that there's a gigantic difference between demon activity and spirit activity. First and foremost, a demon's not a ghost. A demon was never a human. Right. Demons are, demons are completely, completely different. Demon haunts are extremely rare. Actually, real, real legit spirit haunts are fairly rare. A lot of people think they have haunted houses. Most of them aren't. Most of them can be explained by science. But there's that you know, small percentages that really are, and that's the ones that we're interested in. Right. But yeah, a lot of people, and I was a little concerned with the film. The film did a great job. The film didn't even go remotely close to any kind of demon stuff, which is great. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that the locals didn't think that there's demons in there because Alice is there. She mean, Alice is in the house during the day a lot. You know, she's, so I don't want people to be treating her any differently. Um, right. Or, or bad. You know, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because people Absolutely. really associate demons with like crazy people, like, oh, you're into demons. And that's not true at all with this house. This location has nothing to do with demon activity. So that was really important. As far as what I want people to come away from the film, I think the brilliance of Kendall and Steve and Corey, the editor, they did a bang up job with, with getting across what was most important to me was the actual true camaraderie and the love we have for Alice and, and the mission there is to try to get answers for her. That's really important to us. And, and, it, and it continues, you know, so that was really important for that to come across in the film. And, and I thought they did a brilliant job with that. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yes. It came across. Yeah. Great. That's good. It's good to hear you guys say that. And I mean, Alice, her lipstick was on point the whole time. The whole time. I loved her bangs. (laughs) Literally even made a comment like, oh my God, I love her lipstick. I was like, love her bangs, love her lipstick. She was giving me Stevie Nicks vibes sometimes. I was loving her. Isn't she so photogenic? She comes across on camera so beautiful. Yes, she does. Even Carrie, she was like, I love how she talks. Like She talks fast and just, I don't Mm -hmm. know, we were in love with her. And then again, the the town historian. I was like, this lady stole the show. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> like, yeah. I absolutely. Yeah, love she's her. great. Yeah, she's like has her own following now. She's amazing. <laughs> so I, I, I swear, she probably would have got an Instagram. She would be a verified account, and she probably had. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, she used to have like 
you know, Leslie Jordan, is that his name? Yes. Yeah. Leslie Jordan's been doing the quarantine, like Instagram. Videos. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. That guy's funny. He's really funny. Yeah. I love, I have, I have loved him since Will and Grace. I have loved him. Yeah. That, that new little show that he had come out with, uh, Oh God, what's her name? She was always on the Carol Burnett show with her. Um, Vicky Lawrence. Uh, yes. Yeah. They had a show yeah. come out where they were like in this retirement community, like love him. Yeah. He's yeah. great. I watched all his videos. He's funny. Yeah, Carrie got me on him, but she needs to do that. I can see her with like lemonade on her front porch, mm-hmm. like just telling mm-hmm. it how it is. Like these are Southern women's like rules to live by. Southern pearls. Yeah, yeah like she, this is what just, it is. She's pearls. Like, she's like the very definition of the South. This is a yes. Southern girl, man. You know, she's just she is everything Mississippi, everything South. Um, oh, you know. Also, while I'm thinking about it, I want to shout out John Bullard too, because John. John was in there for like literally years and years and years before I even got involved. Yeah, he vlogged like ten years, right? Years. Yeah, he's going over twelve now because those twelve, those two years ago when we started filming. Oh, true. So yeah. yeah, it's like so. So John Bullard put a lot of miles in in that house, and it was really his efforts in in the early days you know, being the first person to really get in there and, and document things. That was instrumental. In, in the film because he had some, some, some footage from the old days in there. And he's just a hardworking guy, man. He's, he's a great guy. He's a great investigator. So yeah, definitely. I uh, want to shout out John. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Like, you know, just when you kind of like, Oh, okay. Okay. There would be something else, you know, it wasn't like necessarily like jump scares that you get from like TV type right. ghost hunting shows, yeah. but it was, I really enjoyed it. it and, was, and that's coming from the skeptic, you know, in our podcast, Donna does the paranormal. I do the true crime stuff and I tend to be yeah. more of the skeptic when it comes to sure. paranormal activity, UFOs, cryptids, all those things. But um, I really yeah. like this documentary and how it was done. And again, it brought the human aspect to it and there weren't mm-hmm. assumptions made, like you said about demons or, you know, right. all the things. And I, I don't know. I just, I liked the human aspect of it. We've had some of our, some of my favorite reviews and some of my favorite comments were from skeptics. Yeah. Um, they were, the skeptics were so appreciative that we put a film out that covered both sides. It wasn't just one biased ghost side. Right. The skeptics really, really respected the fact that we went out and sought out physicists. Michael Denon is, is in the film. He's a physicist. He's a professor at a University of California, Irvine. He's in the TV. Sh- he's a, he's a regular on the TV show Ancient Aliens. He's he's uh, a skeptic. He they they call him in. Gotcha. To, they call him in to counter the the UFO theory side. You know, for example, on on Ancient Aliens, they'll, they'll show like I forgot his name, but he's that he has a Greek name. He has black hair. And he's like everything's UFOs in his mind. Yeah. The UFOs are built. I mean, the pyramids are built by UFOs. And, and then they'll go to Michael Denon, and Michael Denon will say, nah, we need to give the Egyptians a little more credit. You know, they, they, they built these, you know. Um, so, he was, so he was important, a very big part of the film. And, that, and again, getting back to my point, some of the skeptics, some of the comments that I've, that I've read and reviews or from skeptics were the, were the really good ones, really good ones. That's awesome. Is there any, just kind of wrapping up, is there anything else that you yep. want to talk about or that we didn't cover that you want to make sure gets covered? Um, uh, just, um, we have a website. It's, um, www.thehouseinbetween.com. 
can go there and, and, and check it out. We got some merchandise there that, that y'all can buy, some shirts and hoodies and things like that. I just want to thank you guys for having me on the show. Are you kidding? And thank you for joining. Yes. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank my you. pleasure. Also, thank you for your service. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Well, you guys are worth it. 